Good morning everybody, good morning and welcome to Sunday morning here at Essex Church where this community of Kensington Unitarians has its spiritual home. We're a community created by all who walk through our doors and all are welcome to join us, be you young, old or somewhere in the middle, whatever your skin colour or ethnicity or country of origin, who you choose to love, how you choose to live, and any of the many other ways that we humans describe ourselves and one another. Whoever you are, however you are, this morning you are welcome here in this community. We're a community that encourages you to be yourself and a community that encourages, that welcomes you just as you are. And if you are a visitor here today, we extend a special welcome to you and would let you know that you're welcome to join us after the service for a cup of tea or coffee. Today, we're going to celebrate a flower communion together. You might have brought a flower or been given one or chosen one from the vases as you came in. The bowl on this central table represents our church community and we are the flowers. You fla fragrant, I nearly said flagrant. <laughs> Start as we mean to go on. Fragrant beings that you are. Um, and perhaps during our first hymn, if you haven't already placed a flower in that bowl, you could find one at the back. But let's now take a breath and take a moment to gather ourselves fully here and now. This simple chalice flame has a proud heritage for Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists around the world and reminds us that there are issues in life worth standing up for, that justice and liberty might be available to all the world over. Our story today is called The Good Toucan but I managed to lose the toucan upstairs. But just imagine a very beautiful bird. And that bird was something of a traveler, something of a thinker. And one day decided to set out on a long journey in search of peace and joy and love. The toucan walked for many weary miles and time passed. Gradually, the toucan's young, sprightly steps and lovely flapping got a little older. The journey got more difficult. The journey passed through landscapes that were not always happy. The toucan saw war and sickness, witnessed rejections, separations and quarrels. The toucan even passed through lands where it seemed that the more people had, the more fiercely they tried to defend it. They even felt the need to attack each other and take things from one another. They were longing for love, and yet they 
surrounded themselves with walls of distrust. And then one morning, the toucan arrived at a little cottage and there was something about that cottage that attracted the toucan greatly. It was as though it was lit up from the inside. So full of curiosity, the toucan went inside. And inside the cottage was a little shop and behind the counter stood a shopkeeper and you know it was hard to tell that shopkeeper's age it was hard even to say if this was a man a woman there was an air of timelessness and mystery about the place so what would you like the shopkeeper asked the toucan well what do you have here came the answer oh we have all the things here that you most long for just tell me what you desire well out it came because that toucan really wanted a better world i want peace for us all i want to make something good of life i want want the poorly to be sick and those who are lonely to have friends i want those who are hungry to have enough to eat and i want every child born on the planet this day have a chance of education. I want everyone to be free. I want to establish a land of peace and love. And there was a pause while the toucan reviewed the shopping list to see if there was anything else wanted. But then gently, the shopkeeper broke in. I'm sorry, came the quiet reply. I should have explained. We don't supply the fruit or even the flowers here. We just give you the seeds. And that's the story of the good toucan on a journey to find peace and love. And our children are now going to leave for their own programme. Zach's got the copy of a story if you want it, Nadia. And there'll be a chance for you children to light a candle later if you want to. And I'm inviting you now to join in our responsive reading that you'll find on this green sheet. There, um, there are two parts of, to this, and you can choose if you want to be an A and a B. It suggests here that if you were sitting on the right as you come in, uh, you might want to be an A, and if you're sitting on the left, you can be a B. But in truth, you can choose. Let's speak these words to each other, reminding each other that love casts out fear. In fear, we isolate ourselves. In love, we connect with others. In fear, we become immobilized. In love, we are empowered to act. In fear, we judge others. In love, we seek justice. In fear, we distrust. In love, we trust. In fear, we seek punishment. In love, we seek mercy and forgiveness. In fear, we see death. In love, we see life. In fear, we retreat, and in love, we reach out. So let us respond to our times with love. Let us reach out. Let us all reach out in love.
And so in a prayerful moment now, as we think of those in our world caught up in violence, particularly those whose lives have been ended who, or who are wounded after attacks in Nice, in Turkey, in southern Sudan, and the daily violence in Syria and Iraq, so frequent that it rarely gets reported upon. Let's share a few moments of stillness in silent witness to the pains of our world. And let us reassert for ourselves and for one another the power of love and compassion to connect us in open-hearted care and concern for the lives of others. Amen. When I knew we were doing this flower communion service, I contacted a few people who I knew loved flowers and asked them if they'd just speak for a minute or so about a flower that they particularly love. And it was only um, this morning that I realised that the flower lovers had become gender specific and I want you to know that I think anybody can be a flower lover. So if you have an overwhelming urge to come and speak, just impromptu you about your favourite flower, feel free. But there are a few people here who, who knew this was going to happen to them and Jane because I am in love with that creature and I know not its name. Come and tell us about it. This is an echinops. Um, I haven't got a definitive favourite flower. There's all sorts of flowers I'm fond of. So yesterday when I was asked, I went out into the garden and this was the one that drew my attention. Um, it's a globe thistle. The bush is uh, ravaged by weevils. You'll find out if you see any of these leaves up close. But it is covered in bees and any friend of the bees is a friend of mine. Um, I like to grow wildlife friendly flowers and I like to grow blue flowers because they always seemed unusual. But the main reason this is one of my favourites is that if anyone's been to Hucklow Summer School, um, the Unitarian event that happens each August and I've been going for forever, um, the garden at Hucklow is absolutely full of these bushes and full of bees and it reminds me of many happy times. So. Well, I obviously didn't read my email properly because I, I didn't read flower. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I wanted to talk about wildflowers. I was brought up in a farm and walking around the fields surrounding the house. It was so exciting with the season, seeing the different flowers. And I, I love the snowdrops that were in the wood next to my grandparents' house. And in the hedgerows, the primroses, and the excitement of the first violets, you know, who could spot the first violets growing? And the hawthorn, and the honeysuckle, and the dog roses. And in the fields, the cowslips, and celandines, and clover, cuckoo flowers, poppies, cornflowers. And then 
I came to London at 18 to study music, and so I became a Londoner and started to have a garden. But my husband was a gardener. I mean, his parents were gardeners, so it passed on. And farmers were never gardeners, so I never learned about it except through my husband. And since losing him, I've learned the pleasure of flowers, and I love the scented flowers, the um, special scent of the lily of the valley and jasmine and lavender. And I just give thanks for these beautiful things that give us so much. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Mm. And Margaret gets the prize for coordinated dressing. <laughs> 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 the touches we expect from the choir. So, um, I've written it down. Uh, I've lots of favourite flowers. Poppies, sweet peas, thrift and wildflowers. I love, I love it when I'm in Acton and I see a scrap of land where wildflowers, some may call them weeds, are popping up. I finally learnt the name of that tallish plant with pointed leaves and little blue flowers branching off from the main stem that grows in people's gardens and along verges in early spring. It's called Green Alconet. That's a hard name to remember. My favourite flower at the moment is also blue and it's called Agapanthus, or Lily of the Nile. It comes out at this time of year, and you'll see it in many gardens, including our church garden at the front. It's quite tall, and it grows from a rhizome, which is a kind of bulb. The flower heads, sorry, the flower head has many, maybe 50 trumpet-shaped flowers, each with six petals and a long stamen. They don't all manage to come out at the same time, but begin at the outer edge and so give interest for a long time as they gradually open. They look quite attractive when the seeds have formed too. Eventually the strap-shaped leaves go brown and die back but they are perennial and in late spring they grow all over again. I first came across Agapanthus, or as I knew them then, Lily of the Nile, when I was on holiday in Egypt in 1993, where they were growing in flower beds near the River Nile. Later, a friend of mine who'd been to the Chelsea Flower Show gave me a couple of bulbs. My garden is a small paved area in front of my home facing north and I grow plants in pots, sometimes as many as 50 pots as I, if I get over-enthusiastic. I wasn't very hopeful, but my lily of the Nile came up year after year. Some years I get up to 20 flowers, and other times, like this year, only eight. 
They're just about to open in my garden because it faces north. Um, first the buds are rounded and as they get closer to opening um, they become pointed and then finally the bud splits and there are the flowers. I think it's a sign of a civilised country that our councils spend money planting and maintaining parks, our roundabouts, our flower beds along the streets and hanging baskets from lampposts. And I mean not just our country, but lots of countries where they do that. And I know of two beds of flowers in my part of Acton, public um, beds of flowers, where year after year, at this time of year, there are agapanthus flowers. And I love watching for them. This is what I'm going to talk about. The rose. I think, probably statistically speaking, everybody's favourite. So I'm just one of the common herd loving this beautiful plant that comes in thousands of different shapes and sizes, as you know. But no lecture on the rose specifics from me, but just a little memory which and I'm not quite sure why it is so persistent. And I think about it quite regularly. It must have been about four years old. And my grandmother had a great garden and a bed of polyanthus roses, which probably most of you who are not exactly very young remember because they used to be incredibly fashionable. Supposedly one exactly the same as the other. Little shrub roses, lots and lots of flowers on top. I remember walking along with my grandmother, holding her hand, I think, and saying, look at that, that's the most beautiful. And then knowing immediately that all the other roses would understand that and would feel sad. I think it's called, in psychological language, it's called projecting my experience of, with my sister onto these flowery creatures, but I think I also knew something about the life in things, in nature, that is just as valid as our own lives, our own feelings. Maybe they don't envy each other, yeah. But I think there must be some sort of life that takes all sorts of shapes and experiences and makes a difference whether this rose has beautiful green leaves, or not perhaps. I guess what I'm saying, I think what I experienced when I was little is something that we all know. Just remember knowing about nature and the interconnected nature of nature. Thank you. 
be a, a short spoken meditation and that will be followed by a few minutes spent together in the companionship of silence. A silence which will end with a chime from our bell. So you might want to get yourselves in a comfy position, perhaps putting down anything that you don't need to hold on to. Maybe focusing your eyes on the flowers or the candles or maybe softening your gaze or closing your eyes. Remembering, as always, in any Unitarian activity, you are free to follow your own thoughts and entirely ignore my suggestions. Because this meditation calls on us to bear witness to the sufferings of our world and acknowledges how often we may feel helpless or powerless in the face of the world's challenges. It reminds us that our own lives sometimes feel overwhelming. Overwhelmed by problems, feelings, decisions waiting to be made, issues we are struggling to resolve. So as we follow the gentle rhythm of our own breathing in and out, allowing it to take us to a deeper place within, aware of the sounds outside the building, aware of the sounds within this room. I invite you to imagine our world spinning in space, a beautiful blue-green planet on which all life's dramas take place all the politics, all the talking, all the violence, but also all the love and all the compassion. When we feel helpless in the face of the world's issues, we might imagine ourselves being called to bear witness to that which is, called to bring our presence to the here and now. Our breathing that anchors us to this world with all that it contains, including us, as gentle witnesses to the power of love and goodness and compassion and inclusion. May the fellowship of silence hold us now.
on your um, uh, green hymn sheet, there are some words from Anne Frank's diary. I will just, I'll pick out a few sentences. It's really a wonder that I haven't dropped all my ideals because they seem so absurd and impossible to carry out. Yet I keep them because in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. I see the world gradually being turned into a wilderness. I hear the ever-approaching thunder. And yet I think it will all come out right, that this cruelty too will end and that peace and tranquility will return again. And in the meantime, I must uphold my ideals for perhaps the time will come when I shall be able to carry them out. I don't know if you remember um, when you first read, if you have, Anne Frank's diary. Um, I read it as a teenager and I remember being struck by that last line because it felt to me then, and it still does now, that Anne Frank, through her writing, had passed her ideals on to me and many others. Today's service is, is leading to a simple ritual known as the Flower Communion. And this is an annual event in many Unitarian and Unitarian Universalist communities. In particular this morning, I'm thinking of the uh, congregation in Prague in the Czech Republic because that was the congregation that first held such a communion in the 1930s, devised by their minister, Norbert Čapek. And Čapek wrote of the meaning of this flower communion. For us, the vase is our church organization and we need it to help us share the beauties and also the responsibilities of communal life. In the proper community, by giving the best that is in us for the common good, we grow up and are able to do what no single person is able to do. Each of us needs to receive in order to grow up and some, each of us needs to give something away for the same reason. At the close of the service, each member was to leave with a different flower from the one they brought, acknowledging that all are equal, different, yet equal. And in previous years here, I've spoken of Chapek and his important work, his cruel death at the hands of the Nazis, his crime, as, as you might remember, listening to the BBC on a radio brought for him for, by his congregation. If you don't know the story of his life and work, it's worth looking up. But that violent ideology that ended his life was itself ended, and we moved on. Yet violence inevitably reoccurs, doesn't it, in human existence, and it has to be responded to. And how we choose to respond makes all the difference. You perhaps will have read these words from Brendan Cox, the husband of the MP, Joe Cox, who was killed a few weeks ago. Here he's describing her funeral on Friday and also describing the legacy of her commitment to being a force for good in the world. Yesterday was Joe's funeral and the response of the public in her constituency was amazing. 
as we drove through the streets lined with thousands of people throwing flowers. Kulin, one of their children, said that while he knew that people loved his mummy, he didn't realise that so many people did. Seeing love alongside sadness from so many people was a source of great comfort for the kids. Yesterday we gave thanks for knowing Jo, for the example that she set and the love that she shared. And though she's gone, we still feel her love. The task of her family and friends now is to honour her legacy by loving our children even more than we did and fighting the hatred that killed her with fresh resolve. Joe would have no interest in resting in peace. In death as in life, she will forever be an activist, a passionate, loving, enthusiastic and energetic force for good in the world that will live on long after her body is gone. We can't stop bad things happening but we can perhaps be part of the rebalancing that reasserts the kind of society we want to live in, that reaches out to individuals and communities different from us, and that stops a downward spiral towards division, fear, and hatred. Our world, for sure, is a complex place, and we cannot expect it to mirror our own preferences just as we all have our favourite flowers, so we have our preferred ideologies, our ways of being and thinking, and we have to find ways to live with difference and express differing viewpoints without resorting to violence. This is the time, I think, to acknowledge that ordinary people like us can and do make a difference. And so in that spirit of inclusivity, let us focus our inten intention and all our goodwill on this simple flower community, that its message might shine out to our world. So as uh, we listen to some music, let's give thanks for the wonderful spark of individuality that makes each of us who we are. And let's be grateful. However fragile we sometimes feel, however flawed we know ourselves to be, I give thanks for all of us. Intriguing, irritating, glorious, sometimes frightening and exasperating folk that we share our planet Earth home with us. Let's take a flower to recognise that. Ralph Waldo Emerson described a flower as the Earth laughing and laughter will always be counterbalanced by tears. In this flowering season, when all around we see nature's beauty displayed before us, may we appreciate the sheer exuberance both of the natural world and of human nature and commit ourselves once more to planting seeds of love and justice and goodwill. Amen. Go well and blessed be.